Hi, everyone. Um, welcome to the most recent installation of the Art Blogs podcast, where we talk to artists and other community members who are doing interesting and creative work in the city of Philadelphia. Uh, my name is Imani Roach, and I am the managing editor over at Art Blog. And today, I'm happy to say that we have with us artist, performer, curator, educator, meme, <laughs> meme generator, um, embroiderer extraordinaire, and friend, Lane Spidell. Say hi, Lane. Hi. <laughs> Great. Um, Lane is a person who wears many hats. And as a longtime admirer of their work, I'm really psyched to get under the hood a little bit today. Uh, before we dive in, though, I did want to start with a bit of a plug. Lane, can you tell us what you've got going on this coming weekend? So on September 24th, Sunday at 7 p.m. at um, Philadelphia Printworks, which is 845 South 55th Street, um, is going to be the third installment of Make a Space for Me, a trans, non-binary, and gender non-conforming event series that I have been curating. Um, uh, the artists, uh, Rin, Rindon Johnson and Sarah Serpas will be presenting a video. Lee Marks will be reading some of their poetry. Um, Carmichael Jones will be, will be presenting a video and Jamal B. Golden will be performing, and there's also going to be the release of a comic by Misty Pollan. Yeah. Awesome. Thank I'm really you. excited for it. Me too. Yeah. And we're going to get more into that later. Um, but I wanted to start, I guess, where I first encountered your work. Um, you wear a lot of different hats and have a lot of different creative impulses, um, but at least until recently, I think you've been most well known as a performance artist. Um, and so I guess I want to. Well known. Yes. <laughs> Lane is famous. Okay. <laughs> there may be in denial about that fact, but most visible at least as a performance artist. Okay. Um, so I wanted to know a little bit more about what attracted you to performance in particular. Um, what attracted me to performance art? Um, I don't know, maybe because I'm always doing it or because I'm, I don't know. But how did you start? Like, what was the first performance piece you ever did? Okay. All right. So we're going <laughs> to, we're going to go there. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So I think the first, I, I, I think the first performance piece I ever did was, um, at, I went, I went to Tyler for my BFA and only degree, um. And I was in an intro to glassblowing class, which I don't know if you know, but glassblowing is really hard. <laughs> and um, I took the whole class. And the only thing I could really make substantially was um, just like a glass sphere. And I, I could like make those, but n nothing else. Um, <clears throat> and I mean, it was really fun. It was just, it was just I wasn't that great at it. Um, and we had to have like a final piece. So I didn't know what to do. So um, I decided that I would build the piece around a performance of like breaking all the glass spheres. Um, so I made, this is like really embarrassing. I made um, like some kind of fabric, like white, but kind of sheer fabric rectangular prism to stand inside of. And then I played, like I projected onto, onto it um, like scenes from romantic comedies. And, and I just like, 
was inside breaking the glass. <laughs> and then, so it stuck though? Like that felt good to you? Yeah, no, it felt really great. I, I, I remember feeling um, a little bit disturbed with myself because it felt really cool to scare people. Like mm. people were, they didn't know, you know, they didn't know it was coming and they, it scared them. And that felt really great. Um, also that, I think that kind of started the explicit experimentation and like flirtation with popular culture in my work. Um, which it's always something that I have kind of, I don't know, it's just been like mythology that I've always drawn from to, you know, to get dressed in the morning, to like create my gender identity, to survive. But, um, yeah, that was funny. That was so funny. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you brought up the issue of popular culture because that seems like such, like a perennial, point of reference for you like in the performance of yours that I've seen but also in your hmm. Instagram presence um but it also seems like there is like a nostalgic piece to it because it seems my impression at least is that a lot of the pop cultural references that you're making are um you know from the 90s or to early 2000s um is that intentional do you am I missing like a more recent set of references or I don't know. Yeah, that is kind of weird. Um, I don't know. Another, yeah, I guess it is kind of nostalgic. Another thing I did in college, which was kind of like one of my like root trans moments was, um, the, the dirty dancing video series where I performed as Johnny and baby and like different dance sequences that they performed together. Um, and that was like my first time binding and it was like, yeah, my first time kind of like fully enacting a fantasy that I didn't even really know that I had. Mm -hmm. Like I, it, it was so like in, in the subconscious that it wasn't, you know, when you're, um, when you're making work and you're drawn, I mean, that's, that's the cool thing about performance work is because you're drawn to doing things, but you like, you're actually doing them. And like, why are you drawn to doing those things? Um, and yeah, that's, I mean, that's from the eighties, but I really like how that movie, I really like it kind of like, like how it doesn't really make sense in time. Cause when is it supposed to take place in, in the fifties? In the fifties. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it's the early sixties and the, um, but the music and even some of the fashion is like very eighties. Um, so it just kind of like slips in and out of time. Um, and then by the end of the movie, they're like dancing to the time of my life. And it's not like, oh, this is in the soundtrack. It's like, no, they're really dancing to it. Mm -hmm. So they like have, you know, this like synth pop song, which okay. makes no sense at all, but it's like, but they're loving it. So, and that gives her the, um, the faith to jump into his arms. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting. It sounds like you're, you're drawn to things, maybe subconsciously, and then sort of in the process of performance, are you then discovering things about yourself or? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Great. I mean, the reason, so the reason I asked <laughs> <No>. that, no, <laughs> clearly not. No, I mean, so the reason I asked that, yeah. um, I've mentioned to you before that it feels to me oftentimes like your work 
is sort of an experiment or sort of an open-ended mm-hmm. gesture as opposed to a closed thing. Um, and in particular, I've noticed your last couple pieces that I've seen, um, you know, have questions in the title. You know, like, at what point does a body become trash? I love because um, I used to always end my essays in questions in, uh, like, middle school and high school and even in college. And I would always get in trouble because you're, like, that's, like, bad form. You're, like, not allowed to do that. Right. But why not? I don't know. Um, I really love questions. And I love playing around with, like, grammatical, um, like, not having a question mark at what is clearly a question or having a question mark at the end of something that's, like, a statement. Right. Um yeah, because every, everything is an attempt and everything is a question, at least for me. I don't yeah. know. Maybe everyone is much more confident than me. That's a fear that I have. But um, Is there, in terms of the questions you're asking, mm-hmm. um, do you see the work as each one sort of being its own distinct line of inquiry, or is it all sort of part of a big, larger question? Um, I think. Not that those two things are even okay. necessarily mutually exclusive. <laughs> sorry. I love, that's something, I love to give people like two options and it has to be one of those. Um, but. I mean, I think it's, I think it's definitely both. I think, um, I, I have been accused and I know that I am, can be, uh, that I'm quite reactive. Hmm. So I think. I think a lot of the time I'm like making something and it's kind of like, there's no, re- there's not a lot of reflection. Um, like there's reflection on like, what are the consequences if I make this choice in this work and like, how will this be seen? That kind of thing. But I don't really, sorry, I don't really put it into, um, I mean, I don't really put it into context until I actually, so it's hard, it's hard for me to, to watch myself. Mm-hmm. So, it takes me a while, like, so I'll, ha- I'll have the document, I'll have the documentation and, um, I'll, it'll probably take like a couple weeks for me to actually watch it, which is so funny because I've been like friends with other performance artists who will be like watching it on the back of the camera on the like, you know, Uber home from the event. And I'm just like, oh, no, 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 I can't do that. But, um, and then, then I can kind of put it on. So that's my website is like a tool for that. That's why it's like lined up like a timeline. Yeah. So I can put it into context that way. And I can definitely see, see things a lot more clearly that way. And it's funny because those, a lot of those dirty dancing pieces, there were like several months, if not like a year, sometimes in between. So they mm-hmm. were like more spread out, but I just kept coming back to it. Just like the idea of like falling is just like something I keep coming back to and I think I'm like done with it and I keep, oh man, I really need to perform money. <laughs> I haven't performed it so long. It's killing me. Well, I'm glad. And then maybe yeah. this interview will bug you into getting back out there. Yeah. I think I've just been, I mean, you know, I've been like depressed and preoccupied, but yeah. um, Jim said, Jim will always ask me to do something. Our, our mutual friend, Jim Strong, and a member of Vox Populi, um, Jim Strong. Thank you. <laughs> um, is an amazing, beautiful firefly of a person. And he'll ask me to do something like in two days or in a week. And I'm more of like, I can do like a two week or, or like a month. Like I can do, I can do that. I can turn things out like that, but not like two days. I can't do that. Right. I mean, that 
raises another question that I had about your work and your process because you mentioned falling down. Um, the work that I've seen of yours is like extremely taxing physically, mm-hmm. often involves falling down, um, feels sometimes very athletic. I know, I know. <laughs> I'm not athletic at all. <laughs> Listen, athleticism comes in many forms. Um, and also I know even from like the one show we were in together that you rehearse really rigorously for stuff. Um, I didn't even rehearse that compared to other people. <laughs> I didn't Lane. Even rehearse as much as I wanted but for that's that what show. I'm saying. You do have like a really intense commitment to rehearsal, which I yeah. admire. Um, so I, I think my question partially is, is why the physical intensity uh-huh. and why this sort of really intense commitment to being in your body, not just in the performance, but like in the, um, in the sort of research leading up to the performance. Um, so I, um, not to be like mental illness, mental illness, but, um, until, not until recently, I was, I've been, I've like put the term like disassociation onto my experience or been thinking about that in terms of things that I've experienced. I think often I feel outside of my body. Um, not right now, not today, but I'll feel like, like I remember, like I would ask my friends, like, you know, when you feel like sticks are operating your hands and they would be like, what do you mean? No, what? <laughs> or just like, just like there's like jello under your skin and you can't feel anything in the outside world. Um, I think like as, yeah, and disassociation as like weird, I don't know if it's like a bad feeling necessarily, but it's just like a detached kind of like, it's like your body is congested feeling. It can feel like that sometimes, or it can feel like you're not even controlling your body. Um, it, it's pretty easy to get used to. Um, it's, it's strangely enough, it's a coping mechanism for, um, for physical pain, for psychological pain. Um, so that's something that I probably developed in childhood or whatever. Um, but that makes it, it makes it difficult to feel present or feel like things are really like connecting. Um, I have a child actually at at my job. So I'm an early childhood educator, um, who is extremely sensory seeking and, um, and why, and will always be like pressing himself up against walls and like people and like grabbing things and like pushing and always like pushing on his skin. Um, and the reason why they're doing that is because they're like seeking input. They need information. They need that sensory information. And I think I I feel like that a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, when I'm, when I'm dissociated or when I'm just like feel myself like sliding off of the face of reality. Um, I think also it was, uh, so I started doing the falling when I started doing the more intense physical stuff, like right after I graduated from college, I think it was also a response to capitalism. Hmm. Um, even though obviously I was involved in capitalism before then. Um, but I'd always been, even though I had always worked, I'd always like also been a student. Right. I've been kind of part of that like ideological, um, yeah. 
atmosphere of scholarship and, you know, like you're special, whatever <laughs> that stuff that yeah. people in art school say, or, or <laughs> max out all your credit cards for your residencies, which is something someone told yeah. me in school. Um, but very quickly I was like, Oh, I was realizing that I didn't have control over my body or my experiences, which made me, it kind of like triggered this memory of like, Oh wait, but I, I never had control over my body or my experience. Um, so you mean partially like in a relationship to labor? Yes. Yeah. Like my time was just like, again, I mean, I did always work. Um, but I, but I hadn't ever had like a full time job. So it was, um, at least, you know, not beyond like a summer or whatever. So it was, um, yeah, it was distinctly, I think, a response to capitalism, like wanting to feel like my body was mine. Um, which is so funny how that's also like connected to my like trauma as well. It's all fuck capitalism. It's yeah. all, it's all, it's all, it's all in there. Um, yeah, because I remember like really wanting to almost like wrench. Like then I was work, I was working retail. I think I was actually working two jobs. I was working retail and I was dog walking and like wanting to like wrench my like the abilities of my body like away from those people. I was also like not in like great working environments. Yeah. Um, and I would say that I haven't had a good working environment until the job I just started very recently, but um. Yeah, like not wanting other people to have my body anymore. Yeah. And like maybe I'll like throw myself around a lot and then I'm not that good of a worker the next day. <laughs> you know? And it's like, what are they going to do? Also, there's like something that feels so good after the performance, before the bruising sets in. Even bruising feels kind of good. It feels like kind of like, I don't know, um, like an accomplishment. But there's feel, there's something that's so good about having like had all of your nerve endings like tested and having like all of your strength tested and having all of the walls of your skin like crushed and bounced and this sounds really kinky, but I'm 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 not I don't I mean whatever. I'm yeah. not into BDSM, but also it's fine. Yeah. Um, but um I have been accused of that by people who've seen my work. Um it just feel. I mean, yeah, you just feel so present. Yeah. Um. It's really, yeah, it's really hard to feel, to feel that way, at least for me. So. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. I was kind of rambling. No, that was perfect. Um, I mean, so one of the reasons you mentioned briefly that um you haven't been performing as much recently, mm-hmm. um, and one of the reasons for that is that you've been doing a lot more curatorial. Work. I think so. Yeah. Um. Specifically, you started um, the Make a Space for Me performance series, which, as you mentioned, we're about to be on our third, on your third iteration of. Mm-hmm. Um, so can you tell me a little bit about the genesis of that? Like, when, how long ago did you start thinking about it? Where you were sort of psychologically? What gave you the push to actually get going? Um, yeah, so the title for Make a Space for Me actually comes from part of a title of another 
piece, um, show them that you love them and make a space for me. That was at, that, that was in the show that you're referring to. Um, the Vox Populi new member, new member show. show. <laughs> I can't yeah. remember. Um, it was so long ago. Um, and that was, that piece was about just like the pain of being in institutions. Um, like from my perspective as a trans non-binary person, but also just like speaking to that general um, pain and this, this feeling just like that, I can't be anywhere that actually my being somewhere is, is, I mean, it's certainly painful for me. Um, but also it's like dangerous for that institution. Um, whether that's like, they don't know what gender I am. So that freaks them out or, you know, whatever. Um, they don't know what box to put on a form. They have to get a whole other form or they don't, there's no form. Or like <laughs> if I, if they use my pronoun in a, like I was told that I, I wasn't allowed to teach, um, my pronouns to the children that I worked with because it was grammatically incorrect. Like this mm. idea, just that like being, even just like being in a sentence is, is dangerous. Um, which is so silly, but, um, yeah, people get really like anxious and volatile and violent around that. Um, which maybe, maybe all of my, maybe, maybe all of my, like, like I, I, I just love grammatic using grammar wrong yeah. because, um, grammar's stupid. Uh, <laughs> but that's also, I'm from like a place of privilege where like I, under, no one understand like English grammar. Um, I think. I mess up a lot, but I think so it's like fun to subvert that for me, but also not fun for people who don't have that education yeah. or ability to understand it. Um, but maybe, maybe that, maybe that was a root of my, of my like being non-binary that I like don't care about grammar. I was just thinking about that. What was I talking about? Oh, okay. So yeah. So being in all those experiences, so that's what, so that's where the, the title comes from. And I was thinking about that, that piece and it didn't feel like enough because mm. it was kind of like this, like, plea, like, please make a space for me. And I kind of been asking that since I joined Vox, I remember like being really worked up and like talking at, I think it was a meeting or after a meeting. And I was like, there's no space here. Like, not just for me, like for anyone, like there's no space here. Like you need to make space. And people looked at me like I was crazy. And I was like, I can't ask people anymore. Like I have to, I have to make it or take it if necessary. Um, so that's, that's kind of like where the seeds of make a space for me, which, um, is to create like a safe and nourishing platform for trans, non-binary, <laughs> gender non-conforming, um, artists. Um, I mean, almost every time I perform, I'm misgendered. If not by, if not by like one of the audience members or a curator or whatever fucking shit. It's, it's, it's so, it's so ridiculous that it's like not even, it's like, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Like, okay, so I am about to be like really vulnerable in front of all these people with my body and my artwork. And now, I feel like shit or, or like right after, like I was just like, really, like I'm just like really open. And now I feel like, you know, it's just like, so um one of the, the tenants. So the, and 
I think it all kind of crystallized when I was like, oh, what if I just had a place for like three hours? No one could misgender any, I keep having the microphone. No one could misgender anybody else. Or if they did, they would be expected to leave or required to leave. Um, and that really excited me. Um, I was like, I don't know, am I allowed to do that? I don't know. Maybe I'm not, maybe whatever. And then I just decided that I was. Um, so it's kind of like, it's not like, I'm in my, in my like personal practice, I like, I'm a lot or like to think I'm, um, very into like conceptual rigor and like, yeah. um, but for this, it's just very simple. Like it's just, it's just that it's just that it's for trans folks. And if you misgender anyone, you have to leave. Um, and have you gotten feedback about that particular aspect of it from the performers? Yeah. Um, oh yeah, no, they, um, I know that, uh, they felt like really safe and like, I think happy. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I've gotten feedback from other people, but I don't really care. <laughs> Both uh, negative and positive, but, um, um, yeah, people are so basic. They're so silly. Just like, oh, but I'm like really nervous. What if I mess up? Okay, then you mess up. Then that's what happens and we'll deal with that when that happens. I don't know. Just like people feeling like the trans person is like, whenever I get misgendered, I'm the one who has to leave. Like the trans person is always the person who has to leave. So you should you know, and it's not, it's not a punishment so much as it's like opportunity to give that person like that couple hours that they set aside for this event to unpack. And reflect. Yeah. And like, yeah. why, why did they like see someone who, for example, who was like femme presenting and assumed they went by she, her, like whatever the situation was. Um, and I, I have received feedback. I've only ever asked one person to leave and I received feedback from that person that it was, that it, it was helpful to like trigger kind of all the, th that work that they had yet to do. Hmm. Um, people don't want to do work. People don't want to do anything. So yeah. Um, well, I think it's, yeah, it can be hard and people, and I don't know if people don't want to do anything. People avoid <laughs> things that are hard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so in terms of the actual process of curating the performers you're having mm -hmm. in your series, um, how are you finding people? Are you, is it just through networks, people you already knew? Um, um I didn't want to do that. Um, I wanted, because also, also a secret agenda of this event series is for me to acquire more trans friends. So, and it's worked. <laughs> so, um, I put out like an open call. And so actually, yeah, the first one, I got to know a bunch of new people and same for the second one. There were some people I knew. I mean, they're, they're people that I like knew, but didn't know that well. And then th this one actually, it just so happens that it's a lot of people that I know and love. But um, that was kind of coincidental. 
But um, the next one, the fourth one, um, is going to be a um, the teen edition. Oh, which wow. I'm really excited for. I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. So that's going to be, I'm not sure when exactly, sometime in the winter, I think. Um, but we the call's already been put out. So if you know any trans teens, send them my way. Out there in podcast land. Yeah. If you know. <laughs> Any trans, non-binary, non-gender conforming teens, please send them in Lane's direction. Yeah. Um, yeah, we, I mean, we have actually, at first we didn't get that many submissions. We've had, we've, I've gotten a lot now, so that's really good. Um, yeah, I'm really excited for that. I forgot, I forgot what we were talking about. Oh, um, I was asking sort of about the process of. Yeah. Meeting people, acquiring people. How do you choose who's going to be in the show? Um, I've never curated anything before. Yeah. Um, and I think that shows to a certain extent. I, I mean, I don't know, but I'm, I'm trying to like put things together thematically, but also it's more like vibe, yeah. vibe wise. <laughs> like it'll just be like, I feel like this goes. And, um, but then artists will like change their minds at the last minute and present a different piece. And like, you know, okay. that's just what they're going to do. So, okay. um, yeah, I'm, I'm a really like instinctual and like emotional person. So I just get this, like, I get like a certain like buzz and like feeling and I'm like, okay, this is like, this is kind of like high and purple or something. And I like put that together and like the last one was kind of like green and like this like kind of neon <laughs> sound. <laughs> so you associate colors with people's performance work? not um, this is the first time i'm saying it out loud huh. but i but i kind of yeah i kind of like get this like i kind of like i'm like get this emo- like emotional or like s- vibe i don't know i sound really stupid no it doesn't it sounds like synesthesia or something it sounds super <laughs> awesome it's just like yeah yeah and this one this one is kind of like very like smooth it's like a smooth like whoosh Fantastic. I mean, I feel like it kind of makes sense um, if a big part of the impetus behind this is building a community that it's about, that it is about vibes. It's about like what vibes go with other vibes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I had a a question uh, because I know, I, I feel like in other marginalized communities within the art world, there's always conversations um, about the sort of perils and promises of visibility, of increased visibility, um, both in terms of how it changes the safety of spaces, but then also how it sort of uh, raises the possibility of like appropriation. so, I mean, are you there yet in this process? Are you thinking about, to, to what extent do you think about, you know, um, in creating this platform for uh, trans and non-binary performers, um, the dangers, I guess, of, like, of visibility? Like from cis people? Yeah. Okay. Huh. I mean, it's weird because I like think about it all the time, right. obviously, right? But never really in in the context of make a space for me. I mean, part of the reason why I made that rule that any 
anyone who misgender is participates in misgendering anybody else would be asked to leave is because it would keep like the like riffraff away you know like people who are like ooh trans stuff yeah. that's in the news let me go <laughs> but no, but the, people like you know people got mad like on whatever instagram and facebook and stuff and that's like great go bye don't come yeah. um that's why yeah that's why that exists um so, I don't know. I, lo I love being trans so much that I don't, I know there are people who more like are more stealth. Is that what you're talking about? I don't know. I mean, I, I think I'm talking about, I mean, well, for one thing, um, I think in the, um, the structure you set up where people who participate in misgendering are asked to leave, you are sort of putting the onus on the audience to be particularly on, um, you know, cis members of the audience to be aware that this is not their space, you mm -hmm. know? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So I think that maybe does some of the work that I'm talking about for you. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think it, it's just, a, it's a conundrum. I think that that comes up, um, for example, in black spaces, both in, in terms of like the kind of work that gets presented, but then also about, um, how to even advertise things. You know, do we want a full house? Do we want, you know, non-black members of the community in attendance? Mm -hmm. Um, how legible do we want to make ourselves to the outside world? Mm, yeah. um, and so I guess I'm just wondering if those, if you've, if those are questions that have come up for you thus far, um, either as either in your, your individual creative practice or, you know, in the process of putting together this, um, this platform, you know, that does sort of elevate, you know, that has, you know, social media, um, promotion and um that does elevate people to a certain level of visibility do you ever have any qualms about that not until now <laughs> <laughs> i'm so sorry is this something i should have been thinking about no not necessarily um, <coughs> i'm huh i mean Safety is always a concern. Yeah. Always, always. Um, I know as like a trans masculine person, there's, I'm safer. Um, but like I've been followed home a bunch of times mm. and stuff like that. Um, and I know like trans feminine people are constantly being hurt, followed or killed. Um, so I would always want, I mean, it's like it, for me, like, it's all like about safety. Um, so I would always want to like offer and create a safe space, but also be able to like follow through hmm. on that. Right. Um, so like the places that I choose to have it at like Philadelphia Printworks. Um, I had an amazing meeting with April, the, the founder. Um, and she is really committed to creating space for like marginalized communities there. 
And again, it's like all about vibes. Like it's, yeah. um, and I mean, that was kind of part of the thing that felt kind of, it felt kind of weird. I'm going to get in trouble to have it at Vox because it hasn't been a historically safe space for me or other trans folks. It's been a site of a lot of misgendering for me and a lot of trauma, to be honest. And I know I'm not alone in that. So that, that felt that for the first one, that was so the first one happened at Vox and it felt very forceful. It was like, make a space for me, <laughs> like move over. <laughs> and it was good to kind of clear that space. And actually like the community felt like it, like it had been created there. Um, but it was really hard for me. That was really rough setting up and everything. I was like crying a lot. Like it was a mess. Um, and I did not expect that. And then the next one was at Black Oak House. Yeah. Right? And that was amazing. That was a, that's like a queer and trans family. Um, and that was a really sweet, like domestic space. There was, so that, so that's actually interesting. So, um, I don't know if we're going to get into it. Should we get into it? But, um, there was, with, like, community is often used as kind of, like, this very um, sweet, like, soft, comfortable word. But um, I also love it for, like, because it's, like, sticky and it means other people are too close. And it means, like, mm -hmm. you have to deal with other people's shit and yeah. that people don't respect your boundaries and you have to tell them that or like, mm -hmm. and vice versa. And you have to listen to other people. Um, so there, there was an artist who was, um, their piece, which I, I didn't know that this was going to be like the main, uh, a main part of their piece so that they would be like touching people, um, non-consensually. And, um, that, in the, and we were in that d domestic space of Black Oak House, and that felt so strange against the backdrop of just like a living room. It was very bizarre. Um, it was it was institutional critique, um, and it seemed like it would have been much more. Um, it would have made more sense at, at like Temple, where the critique was directed. Mm -hmm. um, but all of this like kind of like anger that was coming out, and this like touching wasn't uh, wasn't appropriate for uh like mainly trans and like queer audience it who was just kind of sorry that count is disturbing me um anyway so so the community that that like had just like been that that is being built and had just recently been built at that point um, was very resilient and direct about that it wasn't okay. And we had a discussion about it afterwards and it was made very clear explicitly what, um, wasn't all right. And like the, the criticisms were that brought to the artist and the artist was, was very understanding. Um, I forgot how I got here. No, I mean, I was asking about, I mean, we can partially move on. I was asking about, sort of what the challenges are in, you know, creating visibility for this community. And I right. think, I think you've, you've answered it. Have I? Okay, yeah, good. no, I mean, okay. it's, you know, I think in a way you're taking some preemptive steps. I mean, I think that's partially what it means 
in this context to make a safe space is that you're already building But in. safety is different for everyone and safety and the 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 meaning of safety is always changing yeah dependent on who's in the room what they're doing you know yeah certain things so so i think that that was a moment where that was i i was like i also like had a had like a fever that night and i was a mess and i felt it kind of like falling apart i was really anxious like oh it's done but um but again, I feel like that's that messiness that you're talking about. Yeah. But it was okay. Yeah. Like it the make a space for me was resilient like resilient enough, which made me in the end made me feel really good. Yeah. Um, so I, I did want to mention also a big part of your life is that you're a teacher. Oh yeah. Um yeah. and you teach little kids. Mm-hmm. What what age? Um I teach uh like two to five. And has that always been, at what point did education emerge in your like career life trajectory? And at what point did art emerge? Was art first or was teaching first? Um, I mean, I wanted to be an artist since I was <laughs> a little kid and <laughs> in kindergarten, I like made a thing. It was like, what do you want to be when you grow up? Yeah. And I drew, like, a picture of me, like, I think wearing a beret. Nice. Um, like, painting or something. And it said I wanted to be an artist. Classic. But then my mom wanted to be a doctor, which was true. Um, and she's still, she's still holding on. <laughs> she's always like, well, you can still go to med school. Like, why would I do that? I do not. Nobody wants me to be their doctor. But, um, I mean, I've – but in, in, like, much the same way, like, I've always been really drawn to teaching. And I've always, like, taught, like, I, I would just, like – teach like my friends or like my classmates and really really I just enjoy learning and one of the ways you get to learn is through like teaching others and then they teach you and like blah 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 like so um but I started I don't know teaching I guess like more for real a couple of years ago and I just been I just had like a few terrible retail jobs and I was I really wanted to do something like engaging and meaningful. Yeah. Um, so I started working at a preschool and I really enjoyed it. Um, I really like, so I, I really like the, 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 um, like the, I don't know how to say this, the, or like the organizational, like, or I don't mean organizing like binders and stuff, like, like physically like organizing like groups of bodies is like, very um like kind of like does a similar thing in my brain that um that like creating performance work does mm-hmm. like it does it feels like my work to be like i don't know it's like it's like a similar it's a similar sensation when it all like kind of clicks in and and even even when it's like really chaotic and messy and when it's not working or not 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 work nothing's ever not working when it when it's with the kids yeah yeah because they're always absorbing things um which is like the great thing about children like they're learning all the time and like (laughs) even if it seems like they're not paying attention they're they're learning maybe they're not paying attention to you but they're like learning something else (laughs) um so that's 
I mean, that's really cool. But like, just like inventing games. Yeah. Really, I, I really like doing like physical games with them. Um, yeah. I don't know. That feels like very, I also taught, um, for the first time I taught a like performance art workshop and that was really fun. And that very much like we did like weird. To the I, kids or to older folks? They were there like in college. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I have done performance art with kids and that's amazing. I can't wait till I get to like know the kids well enough that I'm working with now that I can do that with them. Um, what am I talking about? I'm sorry. I'm so No, I was asking you about education and how you got on that kick. And you also, I mean, my next question was going to be about any intersections you see between that and the performance work, but you are already ahead of me. Yeah. I mean, it's really, teaching is really physical. Um, Also, like, I think I've realized something that's really, like, empathy and, like, exercising (laughs) empathy is really important to me. Um, and that's really what like so much of teaching is about Mm. because I mean, but it's true of like, of anyone, like so many things that other people do are like incomprehensible. They're so hard to figure out. It's just like, so you're drawing with your crayons and then you're throwing them across the room, (laughs) but you're still, but then why are you doing that? Like, (laughs) or just like. You say that you love me, but you treat me like shit. Like, why are you doing that? You know, yeah, like, yeah. or or whatever, um, whatever the case may be. But um, I really, yeah, I really, I mean, I'm a Scorpio. I really like figuring someone out. It sounds creepy, but it's it's fun for me, like a puzzle. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that's like when you figure out how to reach like a child, it's like this like really cool feeling like yes i got you and i'm sure for them as well to feel seen Mm -hmm. it is really hard it is really hard leading a classroom i don't think i really love teaching but i think ultimately um whatever what's ultimately i guess death but (laughs) like what do you mean yeah it's just like what are you doing with your life well when do you when do you when does your life start when do you when are you doing what you're doing with your life you're always doing it but um i think I think one day I want to do being a more like specific like art therapy or some kind of um, thing where I'm like working one-on-one or in like smaller groups because leading like a large classroom, it's really difficult to see everyone. And it's kind of like taxing to assume lots of things about all these different faces and bodies. And it's, I think a little harmful, but there's like so much harm that you have to do every day <laughs> just to like keep moving. It sucks. Yeah. I was going to say, uh, I was going to say we can end on that note, but, um, no, I mean, I think that's true, which is why exercising empathy is important. Right? Yeah. You just have to, yeah. Yeah. You should always assume that you're like, causing hurt so when you're cognizant when you're like present in those moments like always try to understand um yeah but you're all you're always hurting something <laughs> i'm sorry no and i don't mean it in a bad way well, no, exactly. it's actually like kind of like freeing to acknowledge like yes yeah this is 
this is something that I'm always doing. But you're also always teaching someone and helping someone, I think. Hopefully, yeah. I also don't believe in hope. <laughs> I think hope is... <laughs> okay, I don't believe that. We are going to be signing off soon. <laughs> Lane is lying to you all. I think... Wait, can I just explain yes. really quick? Okay, so... um and I don't, again, it's like, it's like a weird, like, thought exercise, but like, hope creates, like, an alternate time and, like, alternate universe that it's harmful for you to act as if you are in hmm. when other people, like, it's like, yeah, I hope one day my parents will see and understand me. And then I'm, like, hoping and hoping and hoping. So in my mind, they're changing, but they're not. Hmm. So it's, and that, and that's really harmful for me because I'm like, Hey guys. And they're like, Hey, you. Yeah. So then trans child. The, I don't understand. I don't know. <laughs> so what is the, I think, I think the like working alternate to, um, to, to hope. To hope. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. Please solve my life. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think, okay. Okay. Here, here's what it is. Replace hope with fantasy. I think because fan- fantasy, you acknowledge that it's fantasy. And I think fantasy, I think hope is important. I think fantasy is important as long as you acknowledge hmm. that that's what it is. Hmm. Okay. Is that? Yeah, I buy that. Super I c- pessimistic. I will take that out into the world and experiment with it. And then yeah. I will come back to you. I'll yeah. watch the footage. I'll let you know how it's working. Yeah. Because uh, I think fantasy is really good. As we've discussed, like fantasy has like led me through most of my life. The fantasy of like art and performance art yeah as that being like okay put everything aside that you currently do with your body and like do something else like that's where else do we get the space to do that yeah (laughs) thank you so much thank you thank you so much okay yes we're hugging um one more time oh yeah make a space for me um, make a space for me September 24th, this Sunday, 7 p.m. at Philadelphia Printworks, 845 South 55th Street. That's in West Philly. Um, presenting work by Rindon Johnson, Sarah Serpas, Lee Marks, Carmichael Jones, Jamal B. Golden, and Misty Pollan. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you. I love you. Love you too. Until next time, goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>